Welcome back to Amerisogyny. I'm your host, Hannah Blue. You're listening to episode 50, Confronting Exploitation. That's right, you guys. Can you believe that? We have reached 50 episodes. Now, that might not be a big deal to some, but to me, I'm over the moon. I never imagined in my wildest dreams I'd be podcasting. But you know what? I absolutely love it. What else I'm happy about? We already have listeners in Japan, Sweden, Spain, the UK, Australia, Germany, New South Wales, Brazil, and Canada. But now we have Colombia, Norway, Russia, and Venezuela. I am so happy to have you aboard. And I hope we have listeners in every single country in due time. Listeners, you know me. I don't let the grass grow under my feet. So let's get going. On our first stop, North Carolina. Hmm. You know, North Carolina, just when I was singing your praises, you let me down. Wake County Schools is under fire as it admits it has restrained or secluded students 864 times in six months in 2023. 864 times is an outrageous number, but something tells me it's higher than that. So let's get into it. Last week, I talked about Disability Rights New Jersey, and this week, it's Disability Rights North Carolina. Wake County Schools is being called on the carpet for not reporting any cases of restraint and seclusion to state and federal governments. Now, if you're an advocate for special needs like me, you know that's a no-no. Between July and December of 2023, the district says there were 864 incidents of restraints and seclusion. Jill McKenna, Assistant Superintendent for Special Ed Services, said, We are committed to clear and accurate reporting and improving our systems to support the reduction of seclusion and restraint incidents. If you're outside of North Carolina, Wake County is North Carolina's biggest school district. And according to McKenna, the district was fully aware there were concerns about how the seclusion and restraint data was reported. Of course they know. In three years' time, Wake has paid nine hundred thousand dollars to families for restraining or secluding their children. In 2020, Wake paid $450,000 to a family of a high school special ed student who said he was illegally, physically restrained and secluded. Now what jumped out at me? He's verbal. He was able to articulate what was done to him. Now think of what they have been doing to children who do not use words for communication. I don't even want to think about it. And it only gets worse. In 2023, they paid out another whopping $450,000 to a family 
who says their elementary school child was confined in a closet more than 20 times. Now to me, that's overkill and unnecessary. According to Disability Rights North Carolina, schools are able to restrain students and seclude them for reasons such as stopping a fight or preventing them from harming themselves or others. But they cannot use these practices to discipline students. Well, it looks like that's exactly what they were doing. Any case of restraint and seclusion is supposed to be reported to the State Department of Public Instruction and the U.S. Department of Education. But Wake didn't report any cases of restraint and seclusion for the school year of 2017 through 2018. And they were sued. So, in 2023, in addition to paying out $450,000, they agreed to correct their data with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. This is the same office that I called when my daughter's arm was twisted behind her back and I won my complaint, but I digress. Wake agreed to correct its data with this office on how often restraint and seclusion was used from 2016 up through 2022. This is my opinion. This tells me some of those numbers were fudged, meaning they lied. What else were they ordered to do according to the lawsuit? Provide updated training for school employees on the use of seclusion and restraint, which they should have been doing that all along, And they have to notify parents by the end of the school day if their child was restrained or secluded. They should have been doing that too. There is no way a child should be secluded or restrained without the parent's knowledge. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more lawsuits to follow. And that's what they deserve. According to the data... Wake claims restraint was used 629 times during the last six months of 2023. That is way too high. Even more disturbing, they used handcuffs or zip ties. Children with special needs are not prisoners. There is no way they should have got away with using handcuffs or zip ties on these kids. In addition, There were 235 reports of seclusion. And if you don't know what this is, it is isolating a child in another room and physically preventing them from leaving. Within the 864 incidents, 240 students were involved. Most of them were students who were disabled. Here's what Jamal Woods, director of student due process, said. And this just blew my mind and not in a good way. He said, special education students are more likely to be dysregulated and require seclusion and restraint to get back under control. Is he serious? If a child is unable to regulate their emotions, therapeutic resources should be involved. You don't restrain a child for having a meltdown, especially not with handcuffs or zip ties. Woods needs to be fired. Number one, that's my opinion. Number two, I said what I said. School board member Tyler Swanson is even worse. Swanson said, Seclusion is also for keeping our kids safe as well. 
This number may seem very high, but it's also we're keeping kids safe that are reacting and the students who are in the classroom as well. I'm not surprised this is a former special education teacher. I shared the story of a teacher removing food from my daughter every day for the slightest little incidents. And sometimes she did it for no reason at all. After that incident, nothing shocks me. Jocelyn Peasy, a mother who sued Wake, says she doesn't think Wake's numbers are accurate. In a nutshell, she thinks they're downplaying the number of times they've used restraint and seclusion. And she's also been reaching out to other parents of children with special needs since settling her lawsuit. Good. Go after them with everything you have, parents. I am cheering you on. And what happened to Miss Pease's daughter? Well, she was nine years old when she was placed alone in a closet 22 times as a school employee held the door closed to keep her inside. And sometimes she was isolated for up to 87 minutes. That is one hour and 27 minutes, you guys. And why was this little girl locked up for up to 87 minutes? Here are the reasons that came out in court. Flipping back her chair, flipping markers, grabbing a teacher's arm, and being annoying. That teacher should be fired and never allowed to work with special needs children again. As a matter of fact, he or she should never work with any child, special needs or not. Flipping back her chair, flipping markers. Did the chair and the markers have feelings? Did the chair or the markers report any injuries? Were the chair and the markers able to file a police report? No. So there was no justification to isolate this child. Grabbing a teacher's arm. Oh well, you should know how to block. But oh, I forgot. Their training wasn't updated. And I didn't know being annoying was an adequate excuse to isolate a nine-year-old little girl. I like Miss Peasy. She sounds like a smart lady. She says, they were calling what happened to my child a timeout when the correct definition was seclusion. My big concern is, how are they making sure that those reports are correct so that it's really timeouts and not seclusions? You go, Miss Peasy. We have your back. Wake County, North Carolina, you need to be ashamed of yourselves. And I hope that the parent of every child that was unjustly restrained or secluded sues you into the ground. Let's keep this Amerisogyny plane rolling, people, to our next stop, California. You know, every time Elon Musk is in a headline, it's never good. But there is a silver lining in this story. A black French bakery owner says Tesla stiffed her over a $16,000 bill. I have no idea how to say her last name. So I'm just going to call her Miss Ray's. She is the owner of the Giving Pies in San Jose, California. And when Miss Ray's was shorted, on February 21st, she went to Facebook and posted about her dilemma. It's titled, 
how Tesla's actions hurt my small black woman owned business. Now that's a title that'll get your attention. So what happened? A Tesla employee named Laura called and ordered 2,000 mini pies. Now, if you're outside of the U.S., February is Black History Month. And Ms. Ray said she turned down other Black History events just to accommodate Tesla. On February 14th, Laura said she received an approval of her quote and expected a smooth transaction from there. But Ms. Ray's didn't get her money. Allegedly, the payment was redirected through Tesla's vendor, City Flavor. Ms. Ray's said, Despite this hurdle, I remain optimistic as I awaited payment. Keep in mind, people, this was $8,000 for 2,000 pies. Well, while Ms. Ray's was waiting on her money, she received a call and the order was doubled from 2000 to 4000 pies. According to Ms. Ray's, despite the late hour and short notice, I consulted with my staff who assured me they could manage the expanded order. On February 16th, Ms. Ray's sent a revised invoice to Tesla requesting payment by noon to, and I quote, secure additional resources for production. But according to Laura, she requested approval by 11 a.m. And that's something Ms. Ray says should have alerted her as a major red flag. Well, by that afternoon, no money had come in. And when she tried calling Laura, she only got the voicemail. A few minutes later, Laura texted her casually informing her that the plan had changed and Tesla no longer required the pies. Mm, mm, mm. Now, Miss Reyes got upset and rightfully so and let her know this damaged her business because she had turned down other orders just to accommodate them. She says Laura then threw upper management under the bus. Miss Reyes said, to me, it was clear that Tesla's corporate culture prioritized convenience over accountability, disregarding the livelihoods of small business owners like myself. Here's the silver lining. When people learned of her story, her business started booming. You know, people can say whatever they want about the USA, but there are some very good people in this country. And when they see people in need, they show up and show out. Over the weekend, there was a line of customers out of her door. And she even got the support of the city's mayor. San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan told media, It was heartbreaking, you know. You hear about these entrepreneurs, small business owners who have made it through the pandemic, who just struggle to get by every month doing something they love. Amen to that, Mr. Mayor. Well, the news got to good old Elon. I'm being sarcastic. I don't think there's anything good about him. And he posted on X, formerly known as Twitter, and claimed he first learned of the canceled order last Friday. According to Musk, people should always be able to count on Tesla trying its best. You're right. Ms. Ray's said a Tesla manager reached out to her 
and offered to reimburse her for the $2,000 worth of supplies she bought for the job. Elon Musk is so cheap. At the very least, he could have paid her $8,000 for her troubles. $8,000 is nothing to him, although he recently lost $30 billion. Ouch. Now, Miss Ray says she will still work with Tesla in the future, but she had to turn down a new job they wanted her to do for 3,600 mini pies next month. She says, unfortunately, I cannot do their catering event because with all the business that we got, we depleted our stock of crust. And then we also have pie day to prepare for. So there's no way. Won't he do it? Congrats to you, Miss Rays. And shout out to the good citizens of San Jose, California. What a beautiful way to show up and show out for a small business owner. Our last stop. There is no destination, folks, because where this woman is, is a mystery. And ironically, it's the title of Lifetime's documentary, Where is Wendy Williams? If you don't know who Wendy Williams is, she started out in radio and then she had her own successful TV show. She left the show citing Graves' disease. Some people hoped she would come back. I was one of them, but she never did. Wendy has had some financial issues. A former financial advisor told Wells Fargo, her bank, that there were some cognitive issues and they actually froze her accounts. I am sickened and appalled that a bank could freeze assets they did not earn. But let's get into the story. Whether you love Wendy Williams or dislike her, if you have a heart, you have to agree. No one deserves to go through what she's going through. Wendy has been diagnosed with primary progressive aphasia, and this is a type of frontotemporal dementia. Frontotemporal dementia is a group or cluster of disorders that results from the degeneration of the frontal or temporal lobes of the brain. And these areas include brain tissue involved in speech and language. In a previous episode, we talked about the frontal lobe of the brain. And ironically, this is the same disease actor Bruce Willis was diagnosed with. I thought this documentary was absolutely horrendous. It did not put Wendy in a positive light. And some people have no experience with dementia at all. So when they saw her ranting and raving and saying mean things, they just didn't understand. But I can tell you from personal experience, some people who have dementia are not always pleasant and they do say the meanest things. Now, some people could argue that Wendy was mean before the diagnosis, but I'm telling you, the behavior displayed in the documentary is a direct result of dementia. It was very difficult to watch. According to Bree Bryant, the senior vice president of Lifetime, we didn't find out the diagnosis until Kevin Jr. shared that with us. Kevin Jr. is Wendy's son. First of all, they should have asked before they shot the documentary because this was blatant exploitation. What is absolutely crazy to me, the courts refused to give Wendy's sister Wanda guardianship of her and selected a professional guardian 
Sabrina Morrissey, a complete stranger. Just as Bruce Willis's family is managing his care, Wendy's family should be allowed to do the same for her. Now, if she had have had a good husband instead of the no good MF she had, maybe her situation would be a little bit better. Now, he had some words to say about it. He claimed the documentary was exploiting his ex-wife, but social media dragged him from Wendy Williams Boulevard to Negro Shut Your Mouth Avenue. And why? He cheated on Wendy throughout their marriage had the nerve to get his side chick pregnant and expected to take care of her and their baby with Wendy's money. If that's not the definition of a heartless, selfish animal, I don't know what is. And what did Instagram users have to say about Kevin's outrage? One commenter wrote, Dude, you bought a whole $750,000 house with her money. For you and your side family. Sit this out like Mediterranean Sea out. Another person said, we don't want to hear shit you have to say. She's been on an endless downfall since you did what you did to her. And another added, blood on his hands, first and foremost. Now usually I don't agree with comments that aren't positive, but... They're right. Had it not been for his lying and cheating ways, he would have been the one taking care of Wendy. When you marry, it's for sickness and in health till death do you part. You don't go out and get a side chick, get her pregnant, and expect to take care of her off of your ex-wife's money. He is straight trash. Right now, He's fighting production company Debmar Mercury for $10 million over wrongful termination. What a prince. Allegedly, Wendy's son, Kevin Jr., and a manager and publicist, Sean Zanotti, have been accused of taking advantage of Wendy as well. Her son, Kevin Jr., is 22 years old. And allegedly, he charged $100,000 to her American Express credit card. Now, he said he's had access to her line of credit since middle school and that the $100,000 was used to charter her to appointments between New York and Florida. Now, in 2021, Wendy did live in Manhattan and it's documented that she had medical treatment in Florida. That's also where her family lives. Now, Kevin Jr. was asked if he had ever took money from his mother's account, and he said, not without her consent. I don't know if he's been stealing from his mom or not, but let's put this into perspective. He is her only child. I'm quite sure she lavished things on him that a woman in her financial position could afford. As I said, whether you love Wendy Williams or you hate her, you have to admit, Wendy had a spark about her. That's why her radio show was successful. That's why her TV show was successful. Yeah, she could get a little mean at times, but Wendy had that spark. And that's what made her a star. In the words of Zora Neale Hurston, those that don't got it, can't show it. Those that got it, can't hide it. And that explains Wendy Williams to a T. She had it and she couldn't hide it from the world. And I, for one, am hoping 
she gets the help that she needs, that she gets out of this crazy guardianship deal so that her family can take proper care of her. And folks, I'm out of time. If you got anything out of today's episode, feel free to follow me. By now you know where. Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Samsung, iHeartRadio, and more. Be easy. I will be back with more stories. Take care of yourselves. And as always, God.